Hey, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor here. Just glad that you have joined us today to worship. Uh, just a quick heads up at the end of the service. We're going to end the service unlike uh, any time we have before. We're actually going to take a little field trip together just outside. We've got a baptism that we're going to witness together and we're going to sing and close out our service outside. So at the end of the service, I will give some instruction. We'll have you check out your kids, those of you that have them with you here. and We'll make our way outside and we'll get to witness a baptism together. So I'm excited for that. Uh, Y'all missed first service. We had a husband baptize his wife and all the waterworks. It was amazing. It was incredible. Um, Probably no crying in the second one unless I drop Matt um, in the water. Sorry. (laughs) And he will be crying. Um, So looking forward to that at the end of the service. We are in this year of discipleship is what we're calling it. We're just learning and growing through the word of God. We are doing this uh, Bible reading plan together as a church called F260. Um, and I want to encourage you again, like Justin did, to join us. If you haven't, you can go online, friendshipwire.com slash 2022. If you want to get a digital copy of that um, Bible reading plan, also physical copies over at Next Steps. But we are starting today this brand new series called Spirit and Truth. It is series number seven of eight in 2022. So we're coming to a close here uh, over the next couple months. And this series is coming uh, right off the heels of Jesus's life and ministry. We saw in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John picks up in the book of Acts as the church, as we've sung about this morning, the church is founded and the church begins to uh, expand into all of the world. And so today's sermon is called The Church is Born. The Church is Born. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. What we're really doing this morning is we're going back to the origin story of the church when the church was first uh, birthed. And really, if we're, if we're being uh, honest, it's the birth of our church, the birth of friendship. And every church that would trace itself back to the movement of Jesus starts here in Acts chapter 2, and so it's good to go back to our roots. So that's where we'll be today. Uh, Just to give you context, we had uh, mentioned this verse last week, Acts 1 verse number uh, 8, where Jesus gives instruction. This is after he has died, he has been buried, he rose again, and he appears in resurrected form to his disciples, and he gives them this instruction in Acts 1.8. He says, hey, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And once the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to fill you. He's going to give you power. You're going to become my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to get this gospel message out to the world through you once the Spirit comes upon you. And then in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit does indeed come at this event called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of three annual feasts for the Jewish people where everyone, all Jews from, from Israel and from uh, the dispersed nations, they would come back for this feast. And so thousands upon thousands would be gathered for this, this feast of Pentecost. And at this Pentecost feast, the Holy Spirit comes. And if you've read Acts chapter 2, which we won't spend a lot of time in the first part of it, but the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and fills people and they begin to speak in tongues, which are... No, known languages, that they're all speaking the mighty works of God in their own and hearing in their own languages. And an amazing thing happens here. And, and I just want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a spoiler alert. In 2023, we're going to go through a series. We're going to spend about half of the year working through the book of Acts, the church on the move. And I'm really excited for that because you see, again, the, the Acts of the Apostles. You see 
God began to build his church, as we sang about this morning, through his people. And it's an amazing, amazing book. And so we're going to spend uh, quite a bit of time next year in that, uh, that book. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. You have to come back in February 2023 to be a part of that. Uh, but this morning... What we see is once the Spirit comes, people are speaking these different languages. And so you have all these people that are together speaking in different languages. And, and some of the people that were bystanders looked on and they, they were so confused by this situation. In fact, they actually asked the question, what's, what's going on? Are these people drunk? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend a few minutes talking about um, Peter the Apostle Peter, he preaches this incredible sermon um, in the midst of this, the questions of what's going on here. So we're going to look at Peter's sermon this morning. Y'all want to know how many points Pastor Peter has here? Anybody want to guess? It's three. Every good pastor preaches in threes, right? So he preaches three sermons with three scripture references. And, and as we kind of jump in, I just want to look at the first verse of this passage in Acts 2, verse 14. Here's what it says to introduce Peter in his sermon at Pentecost. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, speaking of the, the disciples, the apostles, Peter lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now, Peter stands up and he is bold and he begins to preach this incredible sermon to thousands, which was much different than the, the teaching that took place in their day. Typically, it was rabbis who would take a handful of, 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 of men around them and they would teach. But here is Peter boldly proclaiming to thousands um, this message. And I just want to remind us of where we're at last week, because last week Jake took us um, to the Gospel of John where we saw Peter uh, failed, right? He denied Jesus, and we kind of ended with this idea that Peter's, Peter's failure wasn't the end of his story. And, and, and we see the next chapter here in Acts 2 where this guy, Peter, who, if we're, if we're being honest about what we see about Peter's life, um, kind of tracks with the way that we live our life. He, he vacillates between being really bold at times and then really timid at other times. Like when you look at Peter's life, you see he was the guy that said to Jesus, like, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then, you know, we turn the corner and he's like, that guy, I don't know who he is, right? He becomes timid. And he's also the guy that when Jesus kind of foretold his death and his burial, um, this is, we're told that Peter brings Jesus aside to rebuke him. Like, uh-uh, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. We're not going to let that happen. And, and this is when, this is that famous scene where Jesus has to go, get behind me, Satan. Like, get away from me. This is, you're not speaking the words, the truth of God. But he was, he was bold. And, and there was, you also maybe remember the occasion when in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas betrays Jesus and brings these soldiers and officers and here comes brash Peter who like whips out his sword and slices off the ear of the guard and Jesus is like dude put that away <laughs> step aside and he has to do some surgery and put the ear back and all that fun stuff but he, Peter's like brash but then in the next you know moment he's you know falling asleep uh, praying when Jesus has asked him to be uh, with him in his final moments and He's the guy that, again, denied Jesus. And yet here we come to Acts chapter 2, and something changes about Peter. 
this guy who was kind of all over the place and, you know, lived in these extremes is all of a sudden begins kind of living up to his name. His name, Peter, um, literally means rock. He begins to become this rock-solid influence and leader in the church. Like, what happened to Peter to flip the switch? Well, I think we, part of it we saw last week that he experienced grace from Jesus. He was forgiven even in, in his massive failure of denying Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. So he experienced the grace of God, but then we see here in Acts that he, he gets filled with the Spirit of God. And I just want to make sure that I, I stop and bring out this point for all of us that know Jesus, that when you put your faith in Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and there is, there is no stopping what, what God can do through you by his Spirit, that he can take your failures and your mess-ups and your timidity and your foolishness, and he can do something incredible with you when he fills you with his Spirit. And so what I want to do is, again, I just want to consider for a few minutes some of what Peter talks about in this sermon. And there's, man, we could spend so long in this. And I know first service people would be like, yeah, you could spend forever going through this. I'm going to try to wrap up the, the heart of what Peter was saying in this, this moment. But what I don't want us to miss is that this was the foundation of the church. The Holy Spirit comes and Peter proclaims the gospel and out of this the church begins to grow and expand and reach all the ends of the earth even to Lugoff, South Carolina. This is where it all kind of births. And so here's the first point for, for Peter in the sermon. He, he says this, God fulfills his word. God fulfills his word. And I want to read verses 15 through 21. Again, Peter preaching to the masses here, and, and he says this in verse number 15. He, he responds to the people's confusion. It says this, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's only 9 a.m. These people haven't been drinking, y'all. Okay, they're, they're not drunk. Verse 16, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In his first reference to Old Testament scripture, he references Joel chapter 2, which says this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter speaks to their confusion, like what's going on here? He says, no, they're not drunk God is actually fulfilling his prophecy in this moment. These prophecies that were spoken of by Joel hundreds of years ago, God is bringing to pass in this moment. And, and just kind of as a, a side note, uh, you know, the spirit coming, that was part of that prophecy that is being right in front of their eyes being fulfilled. But there's this whole other part of the prophecy that is not yet fulfilled. It, it's when he starts talking about, you know, the... Uh, gosh, verse 20, 
Um, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. There's still part of this prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled on the day of the Lord. That is when Jesus comes back. But, but what Peter is saying here is, hey, listen, here is what's taking place right now. God is fulfilling his word. Things that he's spoken about, that he's prophesied about for hundreds of years is coming to pass right now. He says he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And you know what he's saying here as he, as he goes back and quotes Joel chapter 2? Here's what he's saying is that the spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you. And then all of my sons and daughters, all of God's people are going to prophesy. You know what it means to prophesy? It means to speak forth the truth of God. So in the Old Testament, you had prophets who had that role specifically. But what he says here is that in those last days, when my spirit comes, all of my people are going to be prophets. All my people are going to prophesy and speak forth truth. It's what Acts 1.8 says, that everyone is going to become my witnesses. Old and young, male and female, he says. Everyone, all of my children once my spirit comes, you will be like my prophets. This is why Colossians 3. You know, every single week we end our service by reading this benediction, Colossians 3, that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we kind of speak that over uh, ourselves. Well, here, here's this one phrase in there. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Because what we see in the New Testament is that, okay, we don't just depend on a prophet or a pastor or preacher to teach us and to admonish us in the truth of God. We teach and admonish one another. And this is what he says. When the spirit comes, man, this is, you're all going to speak my truth. You're all going to prophesy. You're all going to minister to one another. Here is, here's kind of a key verse that he says here. Verse number 21 it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what Peter, this kind of bleeds into the next point here, but God fulfills his word. Everything that he says will come to pass will come to pass. And in fact, in this moment, all that he said is coming true. What you are seeing and what you're experiencing is the word being fulfilled before your very eyes. So that's Peter's first point. God fulfills his word. Here's the second point. He says that the gospel is God's plan. The gospel is God's plan. I just want to read verses 22 to 32 as he addresses them again. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the, pain, the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, and he begins to quote uh, his second Old Testament quote here is from Psalm 16. He says, for David said this about 
the Lord. This was a prophecy about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. The, the grave is what that means. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And there was some confusion here. Let me just pause for a second about who was speaking. Psalm 16 was written by David. And so everyone who read that was going, okay, David's talking here, but is this really about David? And he goes on, to, he's clarifying. No, this isn't about David fully. This is about Jesus. This is a prophecy because Peter goes on in verse 29 and says this, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades. In other words, he didn't, he didn't allow him to stay in the grave, the place of the dead and nor did his flesh see corruption. In other words, Jesus, this holy one, he, he took on our sin, but he did not become sinful or corrupt. This is all speaking about Jesus, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So here is what Peter is doing in this kind of portion He's introducing us to the focus of his sermon. You all know what the focus of his sermon was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. That was the point of his sermon. And if I could be so bold as to say this, that the point of every good biblical sermon is always what? Jesus. Always. It's not about you and about me. It's, it's not about how you are this bad or you are this good. It's, it's not about all that you need to do to become a better, more improved person. Uh, it's not about any of that. It's always about Jesus. And if a sermon isn't about Jesus, mine included, it's not a biblical sermon. Because listen, I could spend all day giving you five or ten reasons how to be a better person or husband or wife and it's not going to do you any good if Jesus isn't the point of that sermon. Can I get an amen? The point is about Jesus. Now, if that is true, if we focus our hearts on Jesus, there are implications. It will play out in how we live our lives. But the point of our sermon isn't you and it's not me. The focus of every biblical sermon is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter opens, he, he kind of focuses in on Jesus and the resurrected Jesus in particular. And, and we won't spend a lot of time here, but he, he dives into you know, some of these, what seem contradictory, but really they're biblical, like they're complementary biblical truths or tensions. Like he talks about that Jesus is both man and Messiah. All right, how how. One person could be fully God and fully man at the same time. That's a tension that I can't explain, but yet it's true in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he says in verse 23, and I do want you to see this again. Verse number 23, it says, This Jesus 
delivered up, listen to this language, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, think about what he's saying there. That what happened to Jesus was according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God had this planned out exactly as it occurred, that he had foreknowledge. He foreknew, he knew beforehand that this was going to play out in this way. That's a pretty... That's a pretty big statement, right? That this was all, this all went according to God's definite plan. But then look at the, the next thing he says is this. He, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God who crucified him. What's it say? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So on one hand, it's, it's as if the people are listening and going, wait a second. You said that this was God's plan, that God was the one who who put him on the cross. And then on the other hand, now you're saying that we crucified him. So which one is it? Which one is true? It's both. It's both. There's this, again, this tension that somehow in the economy of God, that God's sovereignty is a reality, that God is perfectly in control of all things, that he is sovereign over all, that he has a definite plan and nothing thwarts his plan, nothing goes um, against his plan, but it all goes according to his plan. And yet, at the same time, on the other side of that coin is human responsibility, that we are absolutely 100% responsible for every decision and every choice and every action that we make. And that God isn't the one who uh, makes those decisions for us. And yet these things are, in, in one verse, he says, these things are both true. God is sovereign, yet you are responsible. And you are, in fact, he says, you are the one who crucified him. You are responsible for the death of Jesus. Now, again, just think of the context of the situation that all these thousands of Jews have gathered here for this feast. And here is bold Peter saying, you are the one responsible for killing the Holy One, this prophesied one. This is what he confronts them with. But he says this, the gospel is God's plan. And he, 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 again, we won't take a lot of time here, but he, man, he focuses in on the resurrection of of Jesus that, you know, the words that David spoke, um, they were ultimately pointing towards the gospel. They were pointing towards Jesus. It wasn't all about David because check the tombs, compare their tombs. David's still there. Jesus isn't. And he's saying he is the resurrected king. This Jesus, God raised up, and I want to just jump back to verse number 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that, we all are witnesses. This is such a big statement, and I don't know if you've noticed this. When you read any of the accounts of Jesus' resurrection, the gospel writers always frame that in light of eyewitness testimony. So there were, there were 500 witnesses and disciples, and there were, there were those who, with their own eyes, here's what Peter says, we are all witnesses. We, we with our eyes, witnessed this resurrected Christ. This isn't just some story floating around. We saw it. He says this for historical integrity, that there were witnesses that saw the resurrection. And so this is the gospel, Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. This was God's definite plan, not yours. This was his plan for things. And so point number one, God fulfills his promises or his word to the gospel is God's plan. And here's the third point that I kind of want to just spend a couple minutes on is Jesus is the ascended king. So 
He, he moves from the resurrection of Jesus to the ascension. And this is so important, y'all. And again, remember, this is like this first sermon that's being preached as the, the church is being formed. Here's, here's what he says in verse number 33. Being therefore exalted, speaking of Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Speaking of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Verse number 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here's this third kind of point that, that Peter makes in his sermon is that Jesus is the ascended king. So one of the things I've realized this past week, and this even kind of before I even jumped into the scripture, one of the things I realized is that this is something that I tend to forget about in the story of Jesus, the, the ascension of Jesus. I think about the death and the burial and the resurrection, but uh, I often tend to forget about his ascension. And that's, my, that's a failure on my part. But you know what the ascension is all about? The ascension is about Jesus being not just raised from the dead, but ascending into the heavens. Him going up in the clouds into heaven to be with the Father. And I, I want to go back to Acts chapter 1. And I, and I just want you to see the scene when the ascension actually happened. So it's Acts 1.8, we said Jesus gave the instruction, hey, wait here for the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power, be my witnesses. And right on the heels of that, verse number nine, here's what it says. When he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So I just want to pause there. Imagine this scene. So all these people are gathered around, or the disciples are gathered, the apostles. Jesus is literally talking to them, giving them instructions. And as they're watching him, he finishes, and then like, ah, he begins to like rise up into the sky, into the clouds. And like, can you imagine the scene? Like, what would your response have been? If here's Jesus talking to me, and all of a sudden he like starts floating, like into the clouds. Like, I can imagine jaws dropped. You're just going, what? What is happening here? And then you're so captivated by that that you don't notice these two you know, men in white apparel, these angels who just all of a sudden appear and start talking and say like, bro, what are you staring at? <laughs> Why are you looking up into the clouds? What's up? So I mentioned this, I bring us to this because number one, I think it's funny. I think it's one of the funniest accounts in the Bible. Um, you just got to understand God's sense of humor. Um, but here's the second thing. Look at how they respond or what they continue to say. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's what they say. Like, why are you so amazed at this? This, this? What you're seeing right now, the way he's going is the same way he's going to come back. In other words, literally, physically, bodily. 
like the way you are saying, he is going to come in the clouds. He's going to come literally, physically, visibly. You will see him. This is how he is going to return to this earth. And, and that's, again, just a side note. But here's the important thing about this, this, whole, this whole scene. His ascension. It, it's not just about him going up and away. Right? Up, up and away. Uh, not just him going into heaven, but it's about him ascending to the throne. So if you paid any attention over the last 10 days, uh, and even if you haven't paid any attention, you've probably heard, 10 days ago, Queen Elizabeth of England passed away. Right? Y'all familiar with this whole story? And what happened uh, as she passed away at her death, her son, Prince Charles of Wales, ascended to the, what? The throne. In other words, this, you know, the heir to the throne, who'd been heir for whatever, 70 years, um, finally took his rightful place as now king of England. He ascended to this position of authority. He ascended to this place of, of prominence. This is what it means to ascend to a throne. We've seen that in the news. This is the picture we've seen over the last 10 days. But this is what was taking place at the ascension of Jesus. It wasn't just that Jesus was going away. It wasn't just that Jesus was going to, in you know, physical human form, be going into the heavens. No, it was more about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to ascend to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110, he quotes here that this is where he's seated now in this place of authority and power. He is at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus is king. He is the ascended king in his rightful place. And Peter kind of sums all of this up with what I would call his like bottom line sermon summary, verse number 36. He says this, let all the house of Israel, therefore, what's it therefore? We're talking about because Jesus is king, because he's the ascended king and he has all authority. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, therefore, that for certain, this is a statement of certainty, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And boom, that's it. Like mic drop. This is the end of his sermon. He ends with this fact that Jesus, this one who has died and is resurrected, is now the ascended king at the right hand of the Father. And if he is the king, that means that you and I are his subjects and we ought to submit ourselves to him. And this is, you know, Peter just drops the mic. That's the end of the sermon. And in this moment, the people, you know, there, there's like at the end of every sermon, there's, there's a response that takes place, whether you know it or not. You think it's, I'm just going to wrap up and I'm going to head home. There is always a response in our hearts to the message of the gospel. And I want you to see how the people responded to this. Because this is like a really in your face kind of a sermon. He's saying God always keeps his promises. 
And you are the one who's guilty of the death of Jesus, this Lord and Christ whom you have crucified. He has been raised. He is now at the right hand of the Father. He is the King. He is the one that you are to submit your lives to. This is the sermon. And he leaves off there. Verse number 37. So what are the people going to do? It says this. Now, when they heard this, there's any number of reactions. They could have been confused. They could have been angry, like spitting mad at this message. What's it say that how they responded? It says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Guys, what do we do with this? This was what we would call old-fashioned Holy Spirit conviction. Conviction. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, takes the truth of the word of God and, and presses it into our hearts. It's when the Spirit of God causes us to understand spiritual things. It's when the Holy Spirit causes us to feel the weight of truth. The Holy Spirit causes us to mourn our condition before God, our sinfulness. It's when his Holy Spirit causes us to desire his mercy and his grace. When conviction comes, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he kind of makes us squirm on the inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever have those moments where, man, I, I don't feel super comfortable in this moment. God, you're confronting me with something that I don't want to hear, but I know I need to hear. That is conviction. That's what it means to be cut to the heart, to have your hearts pierced with the truth. And this is the position of these people. They say, they say what shall we do? Brothers, what do we do with this? Conviction always causes us to ask the question, what do we do with this? Because the gospel, listen, y'all, the gospel always demands a response. The gospel always demands a response. Every single week, whether you realize it or not, you respond to the gospel in one of two ways. You receive it, which leads to sometimes repentance, repent of something to turn away from your way. And sometimes it just leads to just pure worship of the Lord. When we hear the truth of the word, when we're convicted, it leads us to we either receive it or we reject it. We reject it. We don't open our hearts to it. We resist it. We walk out the door and and do nothing about it. And every single week, we do one of those two things. The only thing we can't do is ignore it. If we ignore it, we have, in fact, rejected it. And and here they, they say, what do we do with it? And Peter says in verse number 38, here's his response. Here's the answer. Peter said to them, read that first word with me. What's he say? Repent. Repent. In other words, repentance is just change in your mind, which, you know, change of heart that leads to a change of, of direction in your life. He just says, repent, change your mind, change your heart, go the, the other direction. And biblically, repentance is always connected to faith. We turn from ourselves and from our sin and our ways and we turn to Jesus. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to make sure I say this, that that baptism portion can be confusing in this passage. He's not saying that you need to repent and be baptized in order to receive forgiveness. No, 
forgiveness of sins, receiving the Holy Spirit comes when you repent. And you can look in multiple places in the scripture, even in the book of Acts to prove that. Back in verse 21, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to do anything else other than repent and call upon his name. But that baptism piece is always connected, this step of faith in obedience that outwardly shows your inward faith that we'll get to see a living example of in just a few minutes. But he says, repent. Here's what you do with the gospel, repent. Repentance is always an appropriate response to the gospel. Martin Luther, in fact, said famously in his 95 theses when he kind of kicked off the Protestant Reformation in 1517, his first thesis was this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. It's not just the start of the Christian life. It's, it's our entire lives that we would repent, repent, repent because we have all sinned and we sin and we sin and we need forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. Amen? Our life is to be an entire life of repentance. And so that's always an appropriate response here. And then Peter kind of says one final thing that's recorded. It says, for the promise is for you. And for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Man, this statement is so important, y'all. Here's what he says. This promise of the gospel, the promise of the truth, this promise of life and forgiveness. Who is it for? It's for you. And it's for your children. But remember, he's speaking to primarily a Jewish audience. He says, it's not just for you. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for your children. It's for all who are far off. Y'all, this is where you and I get included in the redemption that is found in Christ. Because this message isn't just for Jewish people. It is for all. It's for every single one of us who are far off off from God. That includes you and that includes me. The truth of the gospel reaches every single one of us. It's available to us. And this is what we see throughout the book of Acts and really throughout the the New Testament and on down throughout the ages up until 2022. This This is the gospel. This is God's worldwide unstoppable mission to get this message of good news, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is where it starts. And y'all, this is where, right here, is where it continues, amen? That we've been called into this, this mission this is where it begins. This is our origin story. And, and I love how it kind of wraps up this whole passage, verses 41, uh, 40 and 41. And with many other words, this has proved to me that Peter was a good old preacher. Did you see that? With many other words, Peter was long-winded. All right? There's something to that. Preachers who talk a lot. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So he was long-winded, but look at what God did, verse 41. So those who received his word, those who received his word, they put their faith in Christ. They repented of their ways. They received his words. They were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 
souls. Man, so there's a sweeping move of the Spirit of God. They were cut to the heart. They responded by receiving the word, putting their faith in Jesus. And that day, God added to the church. He started the church like with 3,000 people. 3,000 people launched this church. What an amazing, amazing thing that God did. You know that word Pentecost. So this is on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost, again, I mentioned it earlier. It's one of three annual feasts where all the people came together to celebrate. Pentecost in particular, they celebrated harvest. And what's incredible about the picture here is that on the day of Pentecost, they celebrated a harvest of souls as God brought 3,000 people into his kingdom. What an amazing, amazing thing. The church was born. It began to grow and advance throughout the world. So let me take just a moment as we kind of wrap this all up. And this will be quick, but how do I live in light of this truth? What do we do with that? I just want to remind you of three things that we've already seen. One is this, God keeps his every promise. God keeps his every promise. We probably declare that every single week, whether in preaching or singing or in some form or fashion. But y'all, don't we need to be reminded of that every single week? That God keeps his every promise. Everything he said he will do, he will do. Even Joel chapter 2, part of it he's fulfilled, part of it is yet to come. But he will fulfill every last word and every last promise that he has given us. So hang on to that. Here's the second thing. is The gospel is true and it's for you. And I wasn't trying to be cutesy rhyming preacher there, but it just happened. All right, The gospel is for you. It's true. It is absolutely true that this holy one, this exalted, ascended king who's at the right hand of the Father loves you and has given his life for you. And in spite of your sin and your failure, he has done everything. He has finished the work to forgive you of all of your sins. This gospel truth is for you. I don't care how young or old you are, male or female. I don't care what your ethnicity is. It's for everyone. The gospel is true and it is for you. So what shall we do with it? Receive it. Receive it. It's for you. And here's the third thing, is that God has given us his spirit and his truth to be his missionaries. God has given us his spirit and his truth to be his missionaries. We see Peter declare it, man. We're living in the last days before Jesus returns. And so let's live on mission. He's given us all of the equipment we need to reach the entire world. He's given us the truth of the word of God. He's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's fall in love with the gospel. Let's be serious about his word. Let's yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Let's take his gospel to everyone that we know. And so let me end with this one bottom line. This is my bottom line is this. This was true of how the church was built in the beginning, and it's true of how the church is continuing to be built today. The church is built upon the gospel by the word of God and the work of the Spirit. This is how the church is grown. It's not by slick marketing. It's not by attractive events that draw people in. It's built upon the gospel by the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
That means if all we do is yield ourselves to his spirit, we trust his word, we fall in love with his truth, we declare it, we be faithful to live by it and share it, God will build his church, y'all. The pressure is off of us to be this slick, showy church that draws people in. God will draw people to himself. He will call people to himself. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, those that he calls to himself, those that call upon the name of the Lord, he will save, he will rescue, and he will build his church. Amen? And so... Back in the day of Pentecost, you see 3,000 people receive his word and they're baptized and you know, brought into the fellowship of the church. And we don't have 3,000 people getting baptized today. We have one, um, but every single one, every single soul is a big stinking deal. Amen. And so I'm excited for this today. Why don't you all stand with me? Let me give you some final instructions. Those of you that have kids, we're going to ask you in just a moment um, to go check your kids out. Uh, whichever side that they're on, check them out. You can head outside. There is a concrete pad out there that has a, uh, a round, the holy hot tub is what I call it. It is positioned out there. There is another little pad that has a dumpster on it. Don't go to that one, all right? We're not going to dumpster dive. <laughs> um, we're going to dunk him in the baptismal. Um, and so it's a large concrete slab. Please feel free to just gather around. All right, come on to uh, the concrete. Uh, we don't want you like stepping in, like, you know, all these fire ants and all that stuff. So gather around. We will baptize, um, we'll baptize Matt uh, in this, uh, in just a few minutes with kids, all of us around. Um, we will also wrap up by singing and uh, we'll kind of wrap up out there. So you can leave your stuff in here and come back in if you'd like, or if you want to take it with you, you can do that. But it'll take us probably five to 10 minutes to get all the kids and get everybody gathered for some of us to change into uh, hot tub attire. And then we'll do uh, that. So we'll do a little field trip here. So let me pray and then we'll head out. All right. God, thank you for this morning and just the privilege that we have to be a part of your church and the work that you are doing in the world that you have been doing for generations that you have called us up into. And Lord, as we just move outside, as we witness Matt get baptized, as he proclaims through, um, through this outward act, God, he displays his inward faith. God, may we just get to rejoice together at the work that you've done in his life, the work that you've done in all of our lives that you've made available to us through your death and burial and resurrection and that you are the ascended king that we worship today. And so, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your spirit and your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.